0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reflections with Raja, a podcast about finding purpose, storytelling, and navigating life. My name is Raja Butter, and I use they-them pronouns. Join me on this weekly journey as I talk to incredible people living thoughtfully every day. Today, I'm really, really excited about having a good friend and incredible, incredible artist, uh, Snehal Desai, director, playwright, producer, and also artistic director of the nation's premier Asian-American theater, East-West Players in LA, uh, that produces just badass Asian-American works for over 40 years, and really, for me... um, Having been an adopted la it has been one of my homes um, in LA. And so I'm just really excited about both the work that Snehal has been able to do, but also just our our friendship. And I'm really excited to be able to talk a little bit deeper to learn more about his story. So welcome to the podcast, Snehal. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much, Raja, for having me and for this um,
1: inspiring podcast. I love it. It's great.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It means a lot coming from someone that I admire, Um Nehal, you know, we've known each other for about five or six years at this point. So I know parts of your story, but I'm really excited to know uh, deeper about kind of where your creation inspiration comes from and how you lead with such incredible energy and vision for um, just all the work that you do. I just continue to be amazed at how um, you have been able to both be grounded in your artistic roots, but also grow the work that you do, particularly as an artistic director and, and particularly the art scene in, in LA. You've just been such an important pillar um, in such a short period of time. So I'm just really excited to learn about you and, and more of your journey. So tell me, uh, what's your story, Snehal?
1: Yeah, um, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, so my par- I'm um, first generation. My parents came from India in the 70s. And, um, you know, we when I was like seven or eight, we moved to a smaller, even suburb or more rural area of um, Pennsylvania. And so we were, you know, there were very few Indian families. We we owned some of the gas stations and stores. So we were living the kind of the Apu stereotype um, uh, growing up in some ways. And then um, I kind of spent uh, following... High school moving up and down the East Coast. So I lived in Atlanta for a while where I went to undergrad. Then I was up in New Haven and then I was in New York. Um, And I think the the thing for me was early in life, I knew I wanted to kind of um, affect change, you know, and there's multiple ways to affect change. And so initially for me, I thought it would be through um, uh, policy, like it would be, you know, being an elected official or working in government or working in um, the Foreign Service. And um, so I was a a poli-sci major in um, college and um, along the way, I've always had this passion for theater and the arts and storytelling. Um, And I think, you know, what lends itself to that is uh, when you are a storyteller, you need to be able to stand outside and and look at the world. And Mm. so I think, you know, a lot of my experiences growing up shaped that eye, that artistic eye, if you will. Um, and then, you know, along the way it was like, you know, there's different ways to affect change. And yes, I could do it through policy and um, governmental service and agencies and stuff, or um, I can do it through storytelling. I can put a face and a name to a cause. I can create a, a space um, for dialogue around an issue that is spurred by um, an artistic work. Um, and so it was along the way that I kind of saw that I didn't, these all these things weren't mutually exclusive and by being, Um, An artist, it wasn't that I couldn't um, do what I wanted to do. I just would do it in a different way. Um, And then in terms of both what I enjoyed and where I think my skill sets laid, uh, you know, more and more I kept doing the theater side of things and coming back to it. Um, And I particularly uh, in Atlanta, I lived there. I was there um, during 9-11. And um, I was working on a play uh, called Marisol by Jose Rivera, and it's about a crumbling New York ap- under attack. Um, mm. And I had staged it site specific in an abandoned mental hospital. And you know, to, to have that play go up, you know, right after nine eleven, it just became this entirely different cathartic experience for folks. They were kind of able to grieve, able to express things that they had not been able to um, talk about and um i I just saw the power of what the art form can do um and uh for me it was also um you know the play is based on uh the angels rebelling against god right so Mm -hmm. it's just like a very large cosmic journey and um i just you know felt like all right this is Let's go down this path and see sure. <laughs> what happens, and if I can make a living doing it, great. If not, you know, I think there are other ways to go.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. I, I so appreciate you bringing up some of those pieces, particularly nine eleven, because I think for me, I was also in college in nine eleven. That for, I feel like for our generation, particularly as brown people and as it's immigrants and children of immigrants it is a defining moment in our, in our understanding, but also our racialization as, as a community in, in the U.S. context. Um, And I know um, there was also another play that, you know, um, I'm forgetting the title of it, but um, how to explain being Brown or not being Al-Qaeda. Is that right? Yeah. So, um,
1: you know, I think the interesting thing then was once I decided I knew I wanted to pursue theater, um, I, I stayed in Atlanta for a while. And then I went to grad school um, uh, at Yale and New Haven. And the interesting thing was when I was there in grad school, I realized how, um, you know, theater here is very Western. It's very colonized. It's very traditional. Mm-hmm. It's very white. Um, and what was my challenge, some of the challenges I was um, having with theater or work is that I just was not connecting to the, these were not my stories, or I was not seeing myself reflected in those experiences, nor were they experiences I wanted to tell. Um, and then what I was seeing was that, um, a lot of the work I had done thus far, I had excluded parts of my personality or my background, particularly the South Asian aspect, um, as well as the this aspect, um, you know, of sexual orientation, things like that. But particularly after nine eleven, you know, that was a seminal changing experience. If you were brown in this country, it was a changing experience in general. But if you were brown in this country, you you were just viewed a different way um, from the moment you left went outside. And so then I, I wanted to be able to, to talk about what that experience was like and how to break it um, and to do it through humor. So, yes, I wrote a solo show called Finding Ways to Prove You're Not an Al-Qaeda Terrorist When You're Brown. Right. Yep.
0: Um, I want to watch it because I was reading that in your bio the other day and I was like, oh, my God, like it, you continue to amaze me with the ways that you are poignant in um Using the art to name the moment that we're in, because um, I think one of the things that I remember being a really powerful moment um, was around the Pulse um, massacre that happened. And there was a couple of readings that you, that Eastwood players helped to organize um, and to really talk about artistic expressions and, and reflecting on what it means to be black and brown and queer in the world today. Um, and so can you talk a little bit more about the intersection of those identities and how it shows up for you in the way you live your life and also how it influences your work?
1: Yeah, so um, that's a great question. At you know East West Players is an Asian American theater company. So um, we're celebrating our 55th season and it was founded by a, a group of artists for two main purposes, one to give Asian American um, artists and particularly actors and opportunity to play roles that they traditionally were cast out of or not seen for. um, And then also for Asian-Americans to tell Asian-American stories. Um, And so that's what East West Players is. But I think, you know, embedded in the mission of East West Players is a social justice aspect. So Mm -hmm. we are artists and storytellers, but we're also uh, fighting for visibility for our community. And um, we are models of, I think, equity, diversity, inclusion, right? I think a lot of folks come to us. We have a lot of conversations. I have a lot of conversations with other theater companies um, and arts organizations as to what they're doing. And I think there's, there's two things. One, that work is never done, right? It's an ongoing process that if you're committed, has to be worked into the fabric of everything you're doing. Right. So how can we continually be more and more an inclusive space? Um, and then the other thing is, Uh, all of our lives are intersectional, right? And I don't prioritize being uh, brown over say my sexual orientation, over say my religion, over, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. yet oftentimes in our lives we have to, we are supposed to do that. And oftentimes we do that based on where we, what what, uh, site or place we're entering. Um, And and we selectively choose the narratives about ourselves, right? And in doing Mm -hmm. that, we also silo different parts of our personality. And so, for me, it's been about how can we create a space at East West Players where folks can bring their full selves? Um, And so, you know, I think particularly around gun violence, around um, attacks on the gay community, the Pulse nightclub shooting was, you know, that was a shooting targeted at black and brown bodies specifically, Mm -hmm. um, and in the midst of a larger epidemic that we have in this country around gun violence. And so, I felt it was very important. Um, to, to, to try to do something. And there were a lot of artists who I think were also struggling and wanting to say something and not sure. So... Um, to provide that space um, was really important. And I think since then we've done things around mental health. I think, you know, what are topics that are taboo, taboo in communities of color, um, particularly the Asian American or Asian community. And so mental health is a big one, I think. Everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Everyone's family has someone, there's a family member, there's, they themselves have had, dealt with mental health issues, but it's, it's always buried, right? And that just makes things worse. Um, And so I think that's been something we've talked about. um, Sexual orientation. We have a couple of works that are about gender identity and gender expression um, Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about because that's, I think, the next, I don't want to say frontier, but that's the next avenue of conversation in the Asian American community. Um, And then I think, you know, the other thing we're talking about is disability. Um, you know what I mean so that's another community that's marginalized within a community that's marginalized so um, I, I felt like that was very important and I felt like that was also the the, the way to move forward the way to expand our tent uh, at ESO's players as to who we welcome in so that we weren't um, pigeonholed or niched or dismissed as as oftentimes people say just an Asian American you know
0: theater sure yeah. sure I so love that I think you know as a, as a diversity and equity and inclusion facilitator, I'm often talking about, you know, our goal and our, our work is to expand the table and invite more perspectives to the table. And it feels like you're doing that and leading the work at East West Players in expanding that and complicating, I feel like, also what it means to be Asian American, which in some ways at the goes at the heart of the model minority myth and the ways that we are pigeonholed and and both. Uh, allowed to exist and also inhibited to exist in this at the same time. So I really appreciate the ways that there's the the thoughtfulness and the intentionality in that
1: was, you know, I think it's a great that you brought up the model minority myth, because I think that's the other thing is like, how are we stereotyped and Asian and Asian American um, are also monoliths in themselves. Like, right. You know, I think the other thing we're trying to do is to break down that when you talk about Asian or Asian American, you're talking about billions of people in multiple <laughs> countries with right. very different histories and cultures that you're just kind of pushing all together. And as you know, that's just you're you're not seeing us. Then you're not seeing individuals. You're reducing us to groups um, and to types. And I think that's that's you know. The way I think we can do it is we've led a lot of conversations. We can talk a lot about it to other folks, or we can just do it and do the work and model it. And and it's messy as we know, and it's uh, it's always um, evolving and growing. Um, but that's that to me is the way I feel like, in particular in recent years, um, I've been wanting to do this work is to make um, East West Players kind of the 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 hub or the site where we're doing that, um, and you know others can follow our lead or not
0: i read a quote yesterday that said you know it takes courage to stand up and 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 speak your truth but also takes courage to sit down and listen Mm -hmm. um and i think and i feel like acus players has done a really good job of being able to um both recognize the the cultural importance of existing in the spaces that you all do um but also just where um Recognizing the cultural nuance of what it means to be, particularly in Little Tokyo, and and the history that comes with being an Asian American theater company in the U.S. and being the premier company that do, that's doing this work, and um and also just you know I think even having you as the artistic director was also historic, right? You're one of what two or three other South Asian artistic directors in the country, is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and even uh, what does it mean to do that, right? And to be able to have someone who has unabashedly held their their intersections of identity out there and to be able to kind of recognize that and hold that in a in a community that's often quote unquote seen as being conservative. I think it's it's kind of cool that just by existing we're able to shadow those stereotypes.
1: Exactly. And I think, you know, the honest conversation is is that there is a lot of racism in Communities of color, right, and particularly in the Asian American community, and so I think that's mm. that's something constantly. I think there's racism just within Asian cultures against each other and judgments and a pecking order, um, and then I think there's a uh, there's you know kind of racism against other groups, um, and I think that's again we ha- to to move forward we have to talk about those hard conversations, um, and I think we can mix it up, right? I think you can you can affect change a lot of ways. Um, effectively through laughter versus kind of, you know, directly addressing stuff. But I think an emotional journey can also affect change. So it just varies, and I think we have to mix it up um, in that way. But it doesn't mean that everything we're doing... uh, I'm not a, this was pure entertainment or pure art for its art's sake. You know what I mean? I need everything you do, every choice you make... Um, should be saying something um, or uh, about the world or being, you know, spurring some sort of conversation that's important.
0: And you also talked a little about kind of finding your own passion and finding the things that felt resonant to you, both in college and grad school and, and various points throughout your journey. Um, I guess for the listeners that are listening, what's something that we can all do to make this world better and, and have a similar impact around finding that purpose and finding kind of our our own personal guiding light.
1: Um, There's so many things. I think listening, actually I made a little list before this and and listen was um, one of the things. And I think what I really have been talking a lot about is um, there's, there's uh, is that we, we we have accepted the way the world is around us and we really have not challenged, you know, particularly challenged both colonialism and capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. And they, both things have kind of submerged and they're not actually the same thing. And particularly in my mind, I mean, there's colonialism, but I think capitalism is what is killing us right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean? That money, that economics are the end all be all. That's how we got to, president who has no governmental experience you know what I mean who's a business person a failed business person um leading you know the government um and uh and looking out for the public good which business business folks don't necessarily always do as we know and the other thing is to stop at where we are right for me it's like what what happens if we keep going, right? What's beyond capitalism? What's more, right? What's further? What's a different find form of democracy than just the constitutional democracy we're in, right? Rather than just sitting, and it's also not. It what has happened is we vilified every other way of thinking that isn't capitalism, right? right? <laughs> Everything else is bad. It's socialism. It's communism. But it's like when you read what the founding tenets of say socialism or communism are, you I, I think there is things to. Um, that, that are about shared resources, that they are about sustainability, right? Um, and we've attached these words to it that have made any kind of um, assessment really challenging. And I, I there are two books right now that I read that I, I've been recommending a lot. One is um, Salsa, Soul and Spirit by Juan Borda. Um, have we talked about this book? I don't think so, no. Um, and it's uh, leadership for a multicultural age, but the heart of it is it's about approaches to leadership through the lens of Latino, Black, and American Indian, Native American communities. And, you know, she talks a lot about I culture versus we culture and how a lot of these these cultures congregate and value different things, right? Um, and and I, I think it's just very, that's the same when I do a lot of conversations about Eastern and Western cultures. Um, you know, one of the things that we don't question is time, and time is fundamentally different. You know, Western cultures, it's a linear form of time it's also you know what i mean when you look at christianity and certain religions versus eastern standards and sets of time are circular right we're looking mm-hmm. at ongoing cycles right and cycles that build up and go up um, and evolve but it, it's a right. circular view of the world that we live here and we're going to come back here versus we live here and we're never coming back so it doesn't matter how we leave it um, sure. and so i think that is what I, i'm really charging folks to say is like you know what I mean? What who, what, what are those worldviews that are different and um, how can we make room for them and be inclusive um, of all these different schools of thought and universes? The other one is a memoir is See No Stranger, um, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love. I don't know if you've read that one.
0: No, no, no. So, You're me some recommendations.
1: Um, so yeah, I, I think those are things that um, I want folks to, and then the other thing is I feel like we don't take time to vision and dream forward, right? We mm. just are just like, we feel every second of our day because stillness is bad. That's what we found. And you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Sitting around and just talking and dreaming is bad. We feel guilty. Um, and I think we need more of that. The more people do that. Um
0: Yeah. yeah. I know I I totally agree with that, especially that last point. I'm so appreciative that I've had people in my life who have just been like, "It's okay to just sit and do nothing, uh, or sit and watch TV all day if that's what you need in the moment." Because it, particularly given all the things that are happening in the world, we just need to slow down a little bit. But I'm noticing that I think at the beginning of the pandemic there was a little bit more of an appreciation for that, just to kind of because everything was so chaotic that people appreciate the ability to just slow down a little bit and not I feel like they had to fill everything but now I'm noticing that six seven months in we're kind of back to where we were well people are it's just filling up in a different way you know it's just like they're still like I've I've had six different appointments and I'm like what like why um and so just trying to like it's interesting to see how quickly we're reverting back to things that are Comfortable or just maybe familiar, maybe not comfortable, but familiar, um, and not actually being intentional about it. So I really appreciate that reminder as well about like actually taking time to just not do anything productive in a, in a in a tangible way, but to be able to actually in a spiritual, emotional way to be productive and just to be able to sit and process and be with yourself.
1: Yep. And, and exactly. And how can we attach value to that? You know what I mean? Versus hiding mm-hmm. or guilt. Um, and I, I think it's, yeah, it's so interesting because I think many of us would say we don't feel like we're in control of time in our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. But we, sh- we we all are. Right. And right. Um, we should be. And um, uh, I, I think the other thing is that we're in this place where we it's a good problem, but we're drowning in uh opportunity right and i think we're seeing that in some of these movements that are like minimalism movements that are about movements about uh no more buying and stuff just that there's there's so much opportunity which is great and there's a you know increased opportunity for everyone but um i also think that leads to us being paralyzed um and then oftentimes uh numb. you know the pace and the speed of life is just numbing after a certain point
0: yeah yeah and although I think the social media culture has also, I feel like, it has added so much to that to that process. I, um, you know, I have to catch myself every now. i be like, oh my god, they're doing this, 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 and I'm not doing X, Y, Z. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay, you know. And yet, and uh, also recognize that things that I put on Facebook are not the moments at three in the morning where I'm like, what the hell do I do, right? It's the moments where I'm having a good time, or like, you know, I'm also really selective about what's posted. And so we cultivate those images. These artificial notions of what our lives are regularly, and um, which is really different often than what actual reality is and, and how do we make peace with that. Yep, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: So in doing all this work um, and trying to figure out how to both lead organizations, but also just show up in all the spaces that you do, because I know you're, you're involved in so many different initiatives, um, what nourishes you?
1: Um, yeah, you know what's been interesting is um, I've, this has been the most time I've ever spent in my apartment um, in five years. And um, so it's, you know, now I'm it's making it a sanctuary for myself, right? I'm like, kind of like, I'm very much about, well, wh- how can I make this a space where I both feel inspired, and safe and in control um so i've been thinking people you know when you're decorating people are like well what do you want what is your aesthetic and i'm like zen garden (laughs) it is zen (laughs) garden is what i'm going for so i'm looking for like i was like i want candles i want things that smell good i want i love the sound of water right water is important Uh to me so I was like I don't care I want some you know like things like that that um just make me help me shut out the world and feel at ease um and then I I don't know I think we talked about this but long walks have come back you know what I mean because of this Uh epidemic and your long walks um by yourself um has just been so fruitful and invigorating and um and I just really enjoyed it and the funny thing is initially it was just like um without anything. And now, of course, I'm like lining up five podcasts to listen for on my walk rather than just being like, you don't have to listen to anything, right? You don't have to um, have tasks uh, while you're doing that. So um, those are some of the things. I think um, I have a new dog. That was a new pandemic and that's been... um, Wonderful. As well as I really now cherish one-on-one calls with friends. Like I I can't do (laughs) zoom social activities. You know what I mean? But I think now we're in this time where you can have like long one-on-one time calls with friends because no one has to rush out to go see something or do something. Right. 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 Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. That's fascinating. I think for me, actually just before this call I had about 30 minutes and I was like, okay, I'm done. I was like, what do I need to do? And I was like, I don't want to do anything. So I just laid down and just was like staring at the clouds. And it just felt nice to be able to just stare at the clouds for like 10 minutes, you know? Exactly. And to feel like it's not, and to to not feel guilty about it. Because I feel like, at least for me, like I've been taught to feel guilty for doing something like that. Um, And yet I remember as a kid how energizing and invigorating and and creative it was just to be able to see shapes and clouds and hang out. And so I, I appreciate that reminder to, just embrace the ability to dream and, and to listen and just slow down a little bit. Um, yeah. So um, where, where do you get your inspiration? Who inspires you and what, whether it's individuals or movements or books or I, you talked about a couple of books earlier, but yeah. Where do you get your inspiration for the work that you do and to be able to wake up every morning and engage in the work that that's so critical?
1: Um. Yeah, I, I think you know I come back to um, art a lot, right? So whether it's been reading or films, or it used to be um, going to lots of theater, um, and uh, so I, I find art. I, I think what I find inspiring is w- uh, things that allow me to see the world in different ways, right? Mm. Through different eyes, different lenses, different perspectives is what inspires me, right? Because it causes me to see things. Um, afresh and so I think that's that to me is what um, the power of the arts can be Um, and that creates empathy and then um, I also love it when art is reflecting back the world to us you know what I mean so we get a sense Um, and then uh, you know lately it's been it's you know I think it's great for like um, the work that you're doing, I think, you know, lately I, I um, a few years ago had a, like an executive coach or a personal coach or career coach, you know what I mean? And I think I'm, I'm back to that mm. time to, to be with someone who um, helps nudge you and hold you accountable, but also encourage you and push you um, and are living their own life. Uh, most of those folks are living the life that, um, uh, that they want, right? They've created the world that they want to do. You know what I mean? They're walking the walk. And I said, so I think folks like you who have uh, gone out and, you know, hung out um, your own, uh, what is that sign or shingle or whatever that thing is, but you know what I mean? But you're doing the work, you're affecting change um, through your voice um, and through all that you have to share, Um, but you're not doing it in some kind of traditional form uh, or model, which is nine to five jobs or
0: something like that. Right. Right. I know someone offered me a job the other day and I was like, thank you, but no, and and it felt weird because I was like, at another point in my life, I'm like, you're offering me a, a full-time job with all these benefits? Yeah, sure. And I was like, at this point, I just feel like I've had to recalibrate what what I need and, and what inspires me, what allows me to do what I need to do. And and that for me, I feel like is not be able to be in a nine to five traditional student affairs job because that's just not, um, while I appreciated the 80 hour work weeks, that's just not something that I'm willing to commit to right now, even if that means it's less financial Security or whatever, right? And so that's really interesting. Um, So, I guess my last question for you is um, what has been the most fun thing you've done during COVID? Um, And is there any other last words of wisdom that you want to share with the listeners?
1: Fun things during COVID? No, I think there's been a lot of interesting things. that, you know, like we did, a particularly some things translate to virtual really well and others do not. And uh-huh. so like um, I've done like a virtual escape room, um, which I don't know if it, it becomes like a games thing. But um, and then it's funny because it's, those situations still cause the same level of stress and anxiety. And then I'm like, why are we signing up for this as a fun thing? So <laughs> that always um, uh, uh, makes me laugh. And then, um, you know, I, again, it's it's been... the different way of connecting um with folks in my life um and then I think the other thing is um well I'm eating a lot (laughs) I feel like I I eat way more than ever and throughout the day and so just like these are pre and also cooking more and doing all of that more than I've ever done before and so appreciating those kind of things
0: Yeah, that's great. Those are some good reminders as well. Uh, Well, thank you, Snehal. I know you have a million things going on, so I appreciate you taking time to chat with me and sharing your wisdom. Just really thoughtful about um, how to create more Zen in all of our lives. I feel like that's kind of what what I hear from you and how to do it with some art and healing and and groundedness for the the communities that we represent and... and, um, work along with. So thank you for taking time to talk with me today. For those of you that are listening, um, there's a bio and some more information about Snehal in the description below. Thanks for listening to the episode today. The song you heard is called Happy on the Meadow by Lo Locaz Feel free to check out um, other episodes of Reflection with Raja on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and so many other uh, platforms as well.